So welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. And today we're talking to Marco Hulsman about business resilience and how to keep your company alive when the world changes. How are you today, Marco? I'm very good. Thank you very much. How are you? I, I'm really good and have been looking forward to this discussion now for quite some time since we uh, agreed to do this episode together. For the benefit of our listeners, Marco's Chief Operations and Technology Officer at MyPostcard.com, which is one of Germany's fastest growing technology companies. It's made up of an international team who are upholding the postcard tradition in the digital age. And to begin with, Marco, could you tell me a little bit about what made you pursue a career in the technology industry? Yes, no problem at all. So yeah, I have always been interested in technology from back when I was a child. I had my first computer when I was probably nine, maybe 10 years old. Back then with Windows 95 and the paints which came with it. And basically, I always had an interest well beyond just seeing what happens like using a computer. Uh, but I was always interested in about how the things function, about the more technical parts. Then quite early coding myself when I was probably 15, 16 years old, which I guess now kids start earlier, but I think back then it was quite early for the time. And basically my interest has always gone this way. And I was very sure from when I was young that I wanted to have a career in the sector too, because it's like combining the hobby with work, which makes it no work really. Fantastic. Could you tell us a little bit about your company and maybe the, the story of how it's evolved over the years? Yes, of course. We started in Berlin back in 2014. So we had our head office in Berlin. I joined the company right at the beginning. So I've seen the whole evolution of the company from day one, pretty much. Uh, we started with a very small team in Berlin, having our printing location over in Berlin as well. Uh, tried to work like probably many companies with some software houses, agencies, but we saw quite quickly that our product is so specific, it's so unique that we can't really reuse things which are available. So we went very early in developing our own backend system. And yeah, up until today, the native apps are still our core business. So our whole infrastructure basically is built around the apps, the APIs, and making everything as scalable and efficient as possible. Because at the end, we are dealing with reasonably large files in this case unique files per user base. So this has probably been the, the biggest challenge from the beginning to be able to survive periods like Christmas, like the summer, and this kind of periods. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the tech stack that you have in place and you know what some of the decision-making impetuses would have been around those selections? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, our, our entire infrastructure is basically hosted dedicated servers since day one. We recently, a couple of years ago, actually moved to a cluster, which basically is using dedicated servers in the backbone. Uh, we decided against using the cloud a long time ago because we thought that the cluster facility is better for us working with all those large files and it gives us a little bit more freedom when it comes to scalability and also to keep the infrastructure as lean and as easy as possible without creating a too high overhead because efficiency is very important for us. Um, our systems are mainly written in PHP. We do use some Python or some automation tasks. Um, the apps are developed natively. We started with Java and Objective-C back in the days, but by now we obviously moved to Kotlin and Swift on the iOS side. And yeah, this is basically, we are still keeping the infrastructure as lean and as easy as possible, but at the same time having enough flexibility to scale up. For the benefit of our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about, in simple terms, how the product works and, and why people like using it? Uh, yes, of course. I mean, our typical customer, especially before COVID, was a tourist, was a holiday maker, was a weekend traveler. Everybody these days has their phone with them, and the phones tend to have very great cameras by now. So a lot of photos are actually made with a phone, and we are like going against the trend of digitalization in this case for our users. 
while people can send photos via WhatsApp, for example, a few days later, you will have forgotten about them because you get spammed with so many messages every day. So we are going a little bit, the, let's say, nostalgic way in this case. And our app basically allows users to send postcards, greeting cards, audio cards, and different products from their phone. We then have a network of distribution partners of printers around the world who we use for the fulfillment, and then we ship the order to the customer. Biggest benefit probably is that it's your own photo. It's not some photo you buy in a kiosk. And it's a lot faster because due to our network, we ship from a location close to the recipient rather than from the other end of the world where you might be on holiday. Fantastic. So, for example, if my mom's birthday was coming up, I could use your app, upload a photo that I've taken of me with my mom, maybe at a previous date, and that will get fulfilled somewhere in Ireland near where she lives and popped in the mail and right to her. Yes. I mean, we also have a design shop exactly for this kind of purpose. So we have ready-made templates for happy birthday, Christmas, birth, uh, anniversary, many things like that, which you can then enrich with your own photos. And yes, we have about six fulfillment partners around the world. So in the case of Ireland, UK, Scotland, for example, we would be shipping from Guernsey, which allows us most cases next day delivery time, no matter where you actually are. And Marco, have you been able to get an understanding of uh, the... I suppose, the typical profile of your customer. So is this more popular with people in their 30s or 40s? Is it younger folks looking for a kind of connection with the nostalgic world? Is it older boomer generation people or is it a little bit of everything? Well, we basically see everybody in our target audience in this case, but speaking obviously about numbers and looking where the biggest amount of customers are, it tends to be young families. It tends to be people probably 25 to 40 normally. But we also have users who are 70, 80 years old because we have always tried to make it as useful and as easy as possible. So basically everybody. But of course, there are some groups which send more cards than others. When it comes to technology challenges, do they mainly pertain to the fact that there's going to be real peak times, I guess, like Christmas, maybe around summer vacation times? Or beyond that, are there other technology challenges that you're having to grapple with? Um, yeah, I mean, there are a few. I mean, you already mentioned Christmas and the seasonality of the business. So, for example, Christmas, we are averaging about two to three orders per second in the evening. This is actually quite a high amount considering it's a bin product behind it at the end. It's not an online shop or normal online shop or something. Uh, so this is one of the challenges we, of course, have, and we need to basically prepare for the, the whole year. Summer is quite similar, but not so much limited to a few days, but rather to a few weeks, couple of months. Um, other challenges, of course, working with large print files in this case. So having a good few million orders every year, each order having three, five megabytes. So storage is something very important for us on this side. Um, these are probably the main challenges on the technology side. Plus, obviously, I mean, COVID made it a lot worse. There are attacks on infrastructure. We are getting DDoS attacks regularly. We have a lot of basically people trying to get into the systems or put the systems down. So being prepared for all these kind of things is very important for us as well. And we have invested a lot in the security side of things in order to be able to tackle those. Um, I'm curious as to why your business in particular would be attracting quite a lot of dust attacks. Is it due to the success and the fact that the, the company is doing well? Is it a scale thing? Is that what attracts attackers? And what are the upsides for them in, uh, in trying to cause issues for your business? Well, yes, the scale thing, the more famous we get or the more people know us, the more the attacks get, which I think is a normal, a natural thing. Also, since we have good protection against everything, I think it's a motivation thing as well for the script kiddies around kind of thing to see if they can get past it. And we have clearly seen that in COVID times, the attacks are getting more and more. 
And it seems to be also that they're getting more and more structured. Whilst in the past, they came from the likes of India, Pakistan, Russia, like those attacks would normally be rooted from. But we now even saw attacks from US, we saw attacks from botnet in Germany. So attacks which are a lot harder to prepare normally because the systems are more secure. There's less IoT available here than it would be, for example, in China. So it seems to get more targeted and more focused. But so far, we have always been able to withstand those attacks and nothing bad happens. So I guess if somebody would be able to get us down, you would get these common messages like, hey, pay me X amount of Bitcoin to let you go kind of thing. But this never happened to us because I think we have always been able to withstand those very well. Fantastic. I'd love to ask you about scaling and actually in, in two ways. One is around scaling your system. The other is around scaling your teams. So you're going to have to do both in response to the success of the business. Could you talk us through, Marco, around, first of all, how you've scaled up your systems to meet increased demand and then how you've scaled up your teams in order to be able to develop those systems? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, speaking about systems first, about the infrastructure first. So where well, we started with very small servers, very small things in the past, basically, where we were also running on one dedicated server back in the days, uh, because it had to be cost effective at the very beginning, which by now, like I mentioned, we migrated to a cluster now a couple of years ago, which of course makes scaling more and more easy because we can just add further machines to our cluster. And due to the virtualization, which is running on them, we can then just well, put loads on different physical servers at the time. Plus, we also started a few years ago to put some crucial and, let's say, performance-intensive things, like our design shop, which has a very high API load. We put those into microservices. So we are moving away from the typical monolith infrastructure in order to make different parts scalable individually, rather than having to scale the whole thing, which might not be the best idea budget and business-wise. About the team, um, like I mentioned, we try to keep our team as lean as possible, but obviously we need people to work on our system, to work on the servers and everything. Uh, so what we have, basically, we are we went for the route of trying to hire people directly in Berlin, which became more and more challenging, as probably for most industry by now. Uh, so we have worked a lot, actually, with headhunters. We are working a lot with actually reallocating people because uh, mainly before COVID, it was still quite attractive for people to move to Berlin, to move to locations like this as part of a new job. So we did a lot of headhunting in, in Eastern Europe. We hired people from the UK range. We have people from Spain, from Sri Lanka. We had somebody from India in the past. But mainly the goal is always to actually move these people to us as much as we can in order also to have the team feeling and the collaboration and not having like satellite people around the globe, which doesn't really make them feel attached as much to the company. We don't want them for it to be just a normal job. We want them to feel part of, of our company, of our culture and our goals. Uh, but since everything comes with those challenges, actually a few years ago, we decided also to open a small tech lab in Guatemala. So we have four people actually being based in Central America and Guatemala now. But due to the time difference, which obviously is a challenge, we make them work on more isolated parts of the project. They have their ownership of some parts of the system and can work on them mostly independently because eight hours time difference is quite a lot if you have to collaborate with the team. Of course. Marco, I'd love to turn the conversation towards the topic of business resilience. So given the domain and the industry that you're in and it being quite dependent, I guess, on tourism and travel, how, how did your business navigate its way through the eras of COVID lockdowns, the temporary end of travel? Would you be able to tell us kind of the story of how, how it all happened for you and your company? 
Yes, of course. I mean, one thing to, to mention probably as an explanation before, yes, we were focused on the travel industry before because it's a natural thing to send postcards when you're traveling. Uh, however, both myself and also uh, Oliver, our founder, we always had the impression or thought that our product is more than just a souvenir, but it's a medium of communication. It's a communication channel after all. So what happened when COVID hit two years ago back in March, first days, obviously, was a big shock in the world. So we saw for a few days like a massive drop in our revenue. We dropped about 70%, which most companies, I guess, did for a few days. Uh, but we actually went more in the route of encouragement cards, I miss you cards, be safe kind of designs. And this actually turned around very, very nicely for us because what was the worst thing for everybody in the COVID time? That you couldn't meet your family. And a phone call and a WhatsApp is obviously something you can do. But it was also a lot of people send cards, basically. Uh, they send postcards, I miss you cards, stay safe, encouragement, all those kind of things. And by the time of Easter, for example, Easter has never been a very big event for us. But Easter of the first COVID period was actually better for us as a company than the Christmas before, which, to be fair, was something we didn't really expect at the time. We knew it was going to work and we were safe, but we didn't expect to go that well, to be honest. But we actually went through the whole COVID period very, very well. And also towards the end of the year, we then had a big collaboration with Deutsche Post since we have a very good relationship with them. Due to some other business we have done in the past, we actually did a big collaboration with them and gave away 1 million postcards to people in Germany free of charge where they can basically send those to their beloved ones without actually having to pay for them. And this basically was also a very good success where we felt like we can actually be this communication channel for the people in a time which, which wasn't really nice. Michael, I'd love to know a little bit about how you looked after the morale of your team during this time. Were there kind of active steps that you took or like how did you go about managing through that uncertainty? Mm -hmm. Well, I think uncertainty was clearly good communication because I guess at the beginning of COVID, everybody on this world was somewhat afraid of their job because nobody knew what was going to happen. We obviously moved to remote very quickly. We did this and was very good for the team as well. So they saw that we actually take care of them and want them to feel safe. Uh, moved to having weekly stand-up meetings, all digital, obviously. And I usually took part in those meetings at the end, speak a little bit about the company, about how we are standing, how stable we are, what challenges we see, what things are going well. Basically, just having as open and honest communication as, as possible at the time, I think, was what did it big for us. Were there things that you learned about yourself, about leadership through this whole experience that you would carry forward with you in your career? Um, yes, definitely. One thing, I was always a believer that working in the team as an office was very important. This at least was my belief. But I think COVID has proved me wrong in this matter because it worked really well for us when we had to go all remote. I guess it's harder for more offline businesses or for bigger corporations. But for our setup, actually, it was very, very easy to go remote. And I think it went a lot better than I would have expected if you would have asked. Yeah, I had the exact same experience. You know, we offered people a lot of flexibility before COVID to work remotely. And at the same time, I always had a sense that people would probably work better in the office. But what we noted during the COVID era when people were remote and working from home was productivity did not decline at all. And in fact, it actually increased marginally across the business. So I was probably thinking about this in the wrong way. And the reality is, if you hire good people, they're going to do a great job, whether they're in their spare room or whether they're in an office. And that's the reality of it. So I think there was a similar kind of learning for me that office centricity is not necessary in order to run a successful business. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Um, some more questions I have for you, you know, on the topic of kind of challenges and, uh, you know, overcoming those difficulties that we have in life and in business, were there other moments aside from COVID 
where things were quite challenging within the business and like how did you deal with this situation? Um, actually, it's something I like in general, to be honest, because it helps you develop and helps you grow as a person, but also in business. I think basically when I started working with my boss, before I had a background in IT consultancy and, and those kind of shops. Uh, so basically, it was a challenge to actually start with a project, which was very small to start with because it only had just started and to actually grow it over phases to the company it is now and looking forward to the company it will be in the future. When I joined the company right at the beginning, it was literally probably sending a few hundred cards a day at most. Now we are easily going towards the five, six, seven million cards a year as a company. So I think all those kind of things have become a challenge to manage a team which grows over time. I would probably consider a challenge in this case. But like I said, it's not so much a challenge because it's also fun at the same time because it helps you develop and it helps you grow as a person and also as a leader, as a, as a manager. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, when you look at these situations like COVID era or the kind of difficult early moments that you can have in, in growing and scaling a business, it's undoubtedly the case that resiliency is a key part and it's a key ingredient. So are there things that you have done to try and promote resiliency across your team and across the organization? Uh, absolutely. I mean, especially the ecosystem in Berlin doesn't make it easier, to say the least, speaking about tech people, but speaking about good people in general. Um, so it's very much also our job to make people feel part of the team, make them feel nice, comfortable in their positions. So we are not the kind of company who tries to copy everything from the U.S. For us, it's more about feel good to give ownership away, to give responsibility away to people, to actually allow people to grow over time, to build their own departments over time, to, to be involved in the decision-making processes within their departments and just to make them feel part of it and not just well, a little wheel in a big machine kind of thing. And I'd love to ask you about the, the current situation we have, which is after maybe close to 20 years of uninterrupted growth in the technology sector, 2022 has started off in quite a different manner. We've seen significant reductions in share prices for technology companies. We have seen uh, smaller companies having difficulty closing funding rounds. There's more down rounds now starting to happen. What are you seeing within the ecosystem in Germany this year? Well, I see the same. And actually, I have people from, from our team who ask me concerns, like, hey, are we stable? Because they hear from companies in Berlin, let go 50% of the people. So we are not really affected by this because we are not VC funded. We are not looking for the next big round, which we need because our burn rate is so high. We have always tried to grow the company efficiently and somewhat organic. Of course, there is one angel investor behind the company, but it was always our goal to make the company stable and cash positive whenever it becomes necessary. This year, we are actually investing in growth again a lot, internationalization, because in Germany, we have been market leader for quite some time now. But of course, there are many more countries around and we are available in many countries. Our apps are available in eight languages. So we are actually investing a lot of money at the moment in, for example, France as a market, which is quite similar to Germany. We are investing in the UK. We are investing in Austria, Switzerland. So we are basically not really going this downbound route, but instead we are trying to just get stronger out of it. But I did see quite a lot in the team that when the news came that some large companies had to let go many people, obviously people are concerned, but then we are always there to communicate openly with everybody to make sure that we don't create this negativity in the company. Because a lot of times, of course, people talk between each other, but we are trying to actually break this habit and be involved as early as possible to make sure that people know that they can trust in their position and they know they can rely on us when we make that's great because I think you do need to give people that sense of um, stability and security and that's what people look for in these uh, more challenging moments. Um, our own business is quite similar in that uh, we're not funded by VC, we don't have external investors, um, 
we would have liked to have raised VC funding a few years ago when we needed the money. No, when we needed it, no one wanted to give it to us. And then you find you just live within your own means. And there's, there's something quite nice about kind of making it through your own merits and your own success as a business rather than being dependent on externalities. It has its downsides in some moments, but in a moment like this, you see that being an old-fashioned company that turned a profit is, uh, is a real advantage in moments like this. Obviously, you give away a lot of control. You, you become less agile. It has positive sides, but it also has downsides. I think you're absolutely right about that. That's a very interesting point because when a business needs to consult with a lot of external investors around every decision or every significant decision, it slows down the pace of decision-making. And it also, it means that the decisions being taken aren't always necessarily the right ones for the business. They might be the right one for an external investor and not necessarily for the employees or the leadership of the company. So there is a great simplicity comes from independence and from a leadership team having the capacity to make the right choices for all the stakeholders of the business, the employees, the partners, the customers, etc. So that's very interesting. Marco, I'd love to ask whether with what you have learned and everything that's gone on in your career, is there any advice you would give to your younger self about, about life, about business and about leadership? Uh, absolutely. I think by now, Something what I've learned over the past years is that sometimes it makes sense to run fast, do mistakes and learn from them, which I guess is pretty much a generic comment everybody would make. But when I started my career on that side, I was more about thinking everything through to the end, trying to make something possible before you even started. But looking back at the last years, I think it's a much better approach to actually not do it this way, but to also be happy if you have something just 90% perfect and just try it out. Because no matter how perfect we design or we develop something now, it will still change a lot within the next five years. So I think this was probably the biggest recommendation to give to me. And also, like I mentioned before about the remote versus office, I think having made this learning earlier wouldn't have hurt me. The final question I have for you, Marco, is could you recommend any books, podcasts, blogs for our listenership? Many of them are uh, would-be entrepreneurs and, and future entrepreneurs. You know, we all have to have our sources of learning. So are there any ones that have caught your attention and really impressed you? Absolutely. I mean, there are a few things I listen to regularly in podcasts. One of them, for example, it's, it's a German one, so maybe for some Germans from OMR. It's mainly based around marketing. It's based, based around growth of companies. So it's not tech, but it's more something a little bit generic. But I think it's very interesting. It's a very great people on board a lot of times. Another one I listen to is the AlphaList podcast. AlphaList is like a CTO network in Europe of like tech leaders. They are also very interesting people on board. They also sometimes do events. That's quite beneficial as well. And then, to be honest, a lot of times, if I'm interested in something, I probably start my search at Google, and then I end up on Medium, I end up on other platforms, but not so much a single source where I would be looking, because I always try to do my research as openly as possible and let myself guide myself to the right answer or the answer I feel are right. Fantastic. Marco, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to speak with you, to learn about your personal story and the story of the business and really hone in on the topic of resiliency. So it's been, it's been a great discussion. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks a lot for having me. Fantastic. So we have production by Adnan Tuchar with support by Evan Sheehan and Alba Nekrasteva. We'll catch you next time on the Story of Software podcast.